Wait, quit standing in front of the TV. It's in the corner back by the wood pile. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. On this episode, we're going to take the wood pile up and over to a place called Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts. It's a unique little neighborhood of the city of Boston, and giving us a tour is president of the Jamaica Plain Historical Society, Gretchen Grozier. So, from an outside guy, you know, when I first heard of Jamaica Plain, of course, I think there's going to be a lot of reggae music. <laughs> and, uh, is there any connection between Jamaica, the, the country, and this place? Uh, well, so there are a couple different theories as to how the neighborhood of Boston that is Jamaica Plain got its name. And one is that um, they often, in the colonial era, called rum Jamaica because it came from Jamaica. And it was that people on this, this side of the neighborhood, this was the town of Roxbury back then, uh, like to drink their Jamaica rum, neat, okay. or plain. It's also the core English settlement in this area was just around the time that Jamaica became a British colony as they took it from the Spanish. Uh -huh. So it's possible that because that kind of happened at the same time and they were looking for a name, they used that name. Mm -hmm. But the most probable theory is that there was actually a sachem of the Massachusetts tribe, which was the group that lived, the Native Americans that lived in this area. Um, his name was Ketchumakin and people called him Chief, Chief Jamaica. They kind of anglicized his name, and he would have lived in this area parts of the year on the Jamaica Pond, so it's off, probably this area kind of came to be known for his name, and that's where it comes from. But there are people, and this has happened to me, uh, my, I have a great aunt who refuses to write zip codes. It's just not her thing, I don't know why. And our mail gets sent to Jamaica. The, the country, <laughs> oh wow. And a lot of our website traffic actually comes from Jamaica. I think people are looking for the history of Jamaica and they get us wow. instead, but that's fine, that's as long right. as they show up. <laughs> so historically, is there much known about that particular Indian tribe that was here? Sure, yeah, because they were sort of here as the English settlers arrived. Um, there was a lot of interaction. They didn't live in the Boston area full-time. They were smart. They would live inland when it was cold in the winter, and they came out to this area more in the summertime, and they would fish and in the harbor and farm sort of in the area. Um, so there was a lot of interaction in the early days. About the time the Pilgrims were showing up in Massachusetts and the Puritans a little bit later, they had lost, the Native Americans here had lost about 75% of their population, the estimates are. So they were really on, in need of, of assistance. So they interacted more with the, the settlers than they probably would have. It was all very good. There's a school here in Jamaica Plain named for John Elliott, who is known as the Apostle to the Indians. He really took it to heart to come over and try and Christianize them and sort of give them... So he learned their language and actually created an alphabet and printed Bibles. So oh, wow. he was, uh, and he gave land here in our area for a school, which is still going. So there was a lot of great interaction. And then King's Phillips War happened in the 1670s. And that was sort of the end of the happy era. And oh. that was also sort of the end of Native Americans in this area. They were pretty much run out of the area. So they were forced out? Mm -hmm. okay. Does anybody know like where they settled to later? They went down um, mostly onto the Cape, Cape Cod, and Martha's Vineyard in that area, sort of southern 
Rhode Island area. They were migrating around those areas anyway, right. and so they just stopped. There, there were too many white people in this right, area right. at that point, and they were like, okay, we'll just go somewhere else. Right. Did they historically have an enemy with the other tribes that you know of? Not that I know of. There was sort of a, I think there was sort of a confederacy of people who spoke a similar language, Algonquin, mm-hmm. and I think they were, they kind of lived mostly in harmony that I know, I know of. I think there were the Narragansett in Rhode Island, I think, had some kind of um, beef. beef with the Mashpee <laughs> yeah. Wampanoags, and but it, you know it's an interesting because it was by the time Jamaica Plain was really settled, there, were, there wasn't a huge Indian presence anymore. So historically. Uh, in the formation of America, the Jamaica Plains, is there some significance that, that people don't know about that you think they should? So Jamaica Plain has never actually been an independent town. It's always been a neighborhood or an area in another town. So it was part of Roxbury and um, the area that we're sitting at, the Loring Greenhouse. House, there uh, was a, during the siege of Boston and when George Washington arrived to sort of run the, the British out of Boston, um, this area was given over to the troops from Rhode Island. So there's a famous general named Nathaniel Green. Sure. Who died young. Yeah. But he, if he had lived, probably would have been a big big wig in the new um, government. But he was stationed here. So the house that we're sitting at, the Lauren Greeno house, was one of the places he stayed. And they used it as a uh, field hospital after the Battle of Lexington and the, um, Concord and also the Battle of Bunker Hill. So it's one of the earliest... Wow. Uh, military, uh, military hospitals in American history. That's kind of a ways away, isn't it, to, to transport? Mm, yeah, I mean, we're probably 15 miles from okay. Lexington. I mean, so I'm Concord. thinking of back in those days. Yeah, so. Bunker Hill were only about four or five miles, so yeah. um, and they would have probably come across the water. It would have been faster. Now it's now there's traffic, but and it wasn't a hospital in sort of where like, they would have just right. chopped off their limbs and wiped their thing their wounds down with a bloody rag. And there's actually. Um, a mass grave that was found when the neighborhood was being later developed in the Victorian era that were all the people that didn't make it out of that hospital. Right. Now, the, the house that we're at, mm-hmm. uh, you said that that had been owned by a guy that was had his allegiance to the British. Right. right? It's Commodore Josh, Joshua Loring. So he was in the British Navy. He was in the French and Indian War and did very well. And then he had mostly retired from the Navy and he moved out to this, this area. would have been pretty rural. We're about six miles from downtown Boston. Um, so... He moved out, created this lovely country estate, and that was all well and good until the 1770s. He was on the governor's council, and people in Massachusetts got, or particularly in Boston area, got very upset that they had at one point voted for the people on the governor's council, but as things got more and more testy, they just started uh, appointing people, and he was appointed, and he didn't... Um, care that he hadn't been voted in and so people ran him out of town so the house was abandoned which is why Nathaniel Green General Green could live here they used it after the war all the loyalist houses were taken by the Commonwealth and auctioned off so the family the Greeno family bought this house and they lived here for many generations after that seems like in history class part of the settlement of when the war was over was that the loyalist or royalist however you want to say Mm -hmm. that would be compensated for the stuff they lost. Yeah, actually, what's really great is that um, J- Commodore Loring had died by that point, but his wife was still alive, and she sent a very detailed list to say, these are the things I need to be compensated for. They had taken some of their stuff with them. They had uh, famously some silver that, that recently came up at 
auction with Sotheby's and mm. for a lot of money. And the people who own this house now were like, oh, if that was just in our yard, we would have, you know, been made in the shade. But, um, yeah, so there's a really detailed list of the things she left in the house um, that nobody has any idea of where they went. But right. So we know what the house was like when they lived here. So oh. we know what that it had a blue, you know, she had a blue bedroom with, like, draperies and all that fun stuff. It's really amazing. Did they try to recreate it? No, the house isn't really interpreted as a museum. They kind of use it more as a community space. So um, there's some, a little bit of original uh, paneling and things like that, but, like, they just did a big kitchen renovation project because it's used a lot for weddings. It's a very nice place to get married. So uh, they were sort of trying to figure out, like, how to keep the kitchen looking somewhat historically accurate. Right but be useful for right. catering and things like that. Have they found anything bizarre or cool in, in their excavations or remodeling? I don't, not that I know of. There's like a lot of broken crockery under the floorboards. Um, Come on, make up something. <laughs> <laughs> no limbs that I know okay. of. There is supposedly a ghost in the house. And Sweet. I have to say, one time I was coming down the stairs and out of the corner of my eyes, I saw something and I thought it was weird because I thought everybody was downstairs. So I had a distinct impression that somebody sort of walked behind me. And uh, so maybe it was the ghost. I don't know. Could have been the medication. (laughs) (laughs) It would be wrong for me to sing the blues. All of my bad days were portion of kind. Okay, so after the the American Revolution, Jamaica Plain. Right. Yeah. Tell yeah. Me about so that. it's part of the town of Roxbury, which is sort of outside of Boston. And then as Boston, as time goes on, Boston starts to expand and takes over all the towns out around it. And so Jamaica Plain, uh, Roxbury became part of Boston, and Jamaica Plain actually seceded with a group from West Roxbury because this was more rural area. Um, and then eventually, the town of West Roxbury joined Boston as well. So from 1874 onwards, Jamaica Plain was part a neighborhood of Boston. And really, the story of Jamaica Plain is about transportation. As soon as the railroad comes through, and that was in the 1830s, people could afford, uh, sort of more white-collar workers could afford to live out here and take the train back and forth. So there's a set of houses that are quite large, old Victorian houses. And then as soon as the streetcars came through, so we have horse-drawn streetcars in the 1850s, electric streetcars by the 1880s or so, then everybody could afford to live out here. And who would want to live in a nice green neighborhood as opposed to it's just the suburb of the 1950s right. a little bit different so we get sort of workers housing and we also have the stony brook which runs through the neighborhood now underground but uh that was a useful thing to make beer so we have a large section that uh, is all breweries and we have a very large influx of irish immigrants in the 1840s and german immigrants actually <laughs> yeah. in the 1850 late 1840s yeah. 1850s so this was a very lot there was a large german enclave in jamaica plain for quite some time and they had breweries and they made beer here a lot of beer and then actually what <laughs> the old brewery the biggest one the hoffenreffer brewery um is used in the 1980s by jim cook he shows up here to make sam adams beer oh, okay and he started that here in jamaica plain so Sam Adams is was so started here. So Sam Adams Brewery, his uh, the the brewery in it's called the Brewery Complex now. Yeah, he's they started here. It's their research and development area now because the Boston Brewing Company uses Boston as its corporate headquarters. So they have to make a certain amount of beer here. So you can go and tour it. That's probably the biggest tourist attraction in Jamaica Plain now, is going up to the Sam Adams um, Brewery tour, 
and they usually give you some kind of weird thing they're working on and uh-huh. oh, cool. it can often be it can be interesting yeah, yeah. sometimes it's pretty disgusting and, and yeah. people are like no don't make this anymore so he came here and we have a famous old Irish pub called Doyle's which most people know about uh, you know all the politicians come here so Ronald Reagan had a pint of Guinness at Doyle's Bill Clinton's had a pint of Guinness at Doyle's but that was the first bar he went to and said I'm starting this craft beer and they were like what but <laughs> yeah they was... were looking for something to sell that was different so they started selling it and it took off so and my whole life was significant historical stories from the let's say 1800s yeah so jamaica plain has always been a neighborhood that's a little offbeat compared to the rest of boston lots of reformers lived here so um, we have a nobel prize winner that was from jamaica plain emily greenbalch she sort of got involved in the women's international league of peace and freedom in the early and we say reformer sometimes that would include like the temperance societies too right yeah we <laughs> because we have the breweries we, yeah. we did definitely have temperance reformers um, there's a couple of them that lived in this area we had a lot of abolitionists so <laughs> there are definitely people in Jamaica Plain that think our house was on the Underground Railroad and it's possible it would be a little weird to bring uh, escaped slaves all the way uh, into land to right. then move them back up to the harbor to go to Canada so it's unlikely, but there were definitely ardent abolitionists, and there were some of them were definitely temperance-oriented as well. But that is def- not as not as much uh, celebrated a, a, yeah. a thing that people were uh, worried about. Yeah. And then lots of uh, women suffragists. Uh-huh. So actually, the house next door is where uh, the first woman elected to the Massachusetts legislature lived, Susan Walker Fitzgerald. Right. She was big in the national movement. Okay. There are a lot of pictures of her at the Library of Congress. So I'm always kind of interested when I'm going through there sometimes I'll search you know like votes for women or something because I'm looking for a picture to put on something and there she pops up she's she was Zimbar. around okay yeah she was very much involved in the national movement but then she came home to Massachusetts and got elected to the legislature just for one term one of the things that Jamaica Plain is known for is that we're really the greenest neighborhood we're surrounded by parks there's a set of parks that go from downtown Boston all the way out to Franklin Park, which is on one side of Jamaica Plain. It's known as the Emerald Necklace now. It's a string of parks that go together. And so Frederick Law Olmsted, who put that together, the same person that designed Central Park, uh, really liked this area. So we were sort of ringed by the Emerald Necklace. We have the Jamaica Pond, which is a park. We have the Arnold Arboretum, which is owned by Harvard. So he sort of created this whole string of parks and because uh, he lived nearby in Brookline, and he just thought this was a really great area. So. We have that going for us, which is quite impressive. Now, a lot of neighborhoods, almost any part of the country, they may start off like a certain economic class and then it changes mm-hmm. we may go down yep. and up and down yep. and up did Jamaica Plain go through the same that thing? that definitely happened so we have sort of the early settlers were just farmers and there are so few farmhouses left now totally surrounded by uh, other housing but and then yeah we had very much the high end neighborhood so the estate we're sitting on the Lauren Greeno house uh, Samuel Adams and John Hancock both had summer houses in this really? area because 
pond had like nice breezes and it was just far enough outside the city or the downtown so that was definitely sort of more posh types uh, and then uh, the commuters on the or original train would have built very large houses and then we get the more working class housing so triple deckers and uh, sort of more small houses that people could really afford one of the actually first amortized mortgages i think that's what it's called what does the, that mean? It, basically you pay off your house you get a loan and you pay off your house your month by month oh. the standard mortgage that we think of oh, today okay some of the very first ones were done at housing reformer named robert treat Payne, who's grandfather great-grandfather signed the declaration of independence he had this sort of housing um, development here in jamaica plain where they're really sweet cute little houses today we would they're a little small but um people bought them and they could you know commute on the, the streetcar and live out in the sub in the suburbs or outside of downtown in these nice little houses and play them off month by month so in the mid 20th century there was definitely the white flight people sort of left Boston proper and moved out to the further suburbs. What suburbs would, would those be? Um, mostly out sort of maybe like West and Waltham. There's sort of an outer ring. We have a ring road called 128. So people kind of went out beyond that. Okay. Or maybe s south towards Waltham or something like that. And so the neighborhood had a little bit of a downturn. So there are people who talk about buying a house here in the 1970s for maybe five six seven thousand dollars like wow. a huge big old victorian house for next to nothing and then by the time i came to j michael plan which was in the late 90s it had started to gentrify um, and so now it has very high housing prices and a lot of the people who've you know were born and raised here can't afford their kid wow. their, their kids are not going to be able to afford to live here wow um, it was a little bit more student-y when i first moved here but students can't afford it anymore and that's that's true i think you're right in almost every neighborhood in every city there's sort of ups and downs peaks and valleys so people now are like oh they're building you all this new housing it's horrible and you can read the same thing in the 1870s oh they're yeah, building yeah. all this new housing it's horrible century. So there, again, of, of our reformers, we have the first woman who graduated from MIT. They call her the, the founder of home economics. She coined the term ecology. That was her word that she hmm. came up with. She spelled it very strangely in the beginning, very sort of Latin-y. Uh -huh. um, but the idea that you can serve nutritious meals to your family, you should keep your kitchen clean, sort of those sort of, she was much more of a scientist. And then also just like, how can you efficiently feed your family good meals that are not in, that are inexpensive so she uh, Ellen Swallow Richards she lived nearby and her husband was also an MIT professor we have James Michael Curley who is a very infamous mayor of Boston his house is here on the Jamaica Way looking out on Jamaica Pond he built it in the late 1910s when he after his first term as mayor and people were quite impressed with it particularly because it cost about four times his annual salary how's that work <laughs> of his time okay <laughs> so the irish uh, catholic politicians sort of start to take over boston politics by that time frame yeah. he was born uh, on the shores of the roxbury canal which was really gross makes his way through the machine and there's definitely a large amount of graft he's a really interesting character because 
we have oral histories of people who there was a cab driver who worked here in Jamaica Plain and he had on Friday nights he would go around to all these different places and get a bag and he would drop it off at Curly's house and we're like, well, is that money? And he's like, I don't know. I never looked in the bag. Really? You never looked in the bag? But, you know, it was kind of known that every big major building project in the city, 10% went to the machine. But when he got elected, his mom had been a washerwoman at City Hall when he was a kid, and he made sure that every single person that worked for the city that was a cleaner got a long-handled mop because he didn't think they should have to scrub the floor on their knees. Uh Um, He brought... Uh, we have a couple different branch libraries here in Jamaica Plain. Mm-hmm. One of those is a James Michael Curley era. He wanted every child to be able to walk to the library. So he had his high points. He had, yeah, <laughs> he was a man of the people in that he wanted people to have the city services that he thought people need, you know, more bathhouses, more pools for kids, things like that. He was great at that. And then there's this dark side to him. And he served four terms as mayor here in Boston. The first one right after he'd been in jail. Um, <laughs> He took a postal exam for a friend of his who apparently was dumb as a post. So, and he was brilliant. So he took the toe, but somebody recognized him because he was running for mayor. <laughs> and he had to go to jail for a few months. And then um, his fourth term as mayor, he actually was indicted on mail char- federal mail charges. So he was actually the mayor of Boston while sitting in a federal penitentiary in Danbury. That's, uh, you guys are rivaling yeah, Chicago as far he's, as... Uh... He's an interesting guy, for sure. And his house is still here, owned by the city and, and used for historical meetings and things like that. We've had a couple mayors. We had John Collins, who's one of the mayors who decided to do a lot of urban renewal. Knocked down whole neighborhoods of Boston. Luckily not here in Jamaica Plain, but this whole area is and flattened them and put up these ugly 60s buildings. And his house actually, ironically, was knocked down a few years ago. And people came to the historical society and he said, you should make sure it doesn't get knocked down. And it was from the late 50s. It wasn't historically significant other than that he lived there. And there's yeah. a plaque, so yeah. we kind of thought it was justice actually yeah in the 1950s the city had gotten huge grants from the federal government to build new highways and they had envisioned this ring road which we had 128 and it was going to have a bunch of different spokes coming into downtown to get people from the suburbs right into the heart of the city and one of the spokes was meant to come right through our neighborhood so we would have had an eight went the, the orange line that you took out yeah that would have been an eight lane highway and people here in this neighborhood and other neighborhoods along the way all banded together and protested and stopped that highway coming through. But by that point, they had cleared quite a bit of our land anyway, knocked down the houses. And so they decided to recreate it as a corridor for transportation. So there's the same train that's been there since the 1830s, the Amtrak is there now, the commuter rail, the subway line, the orange line. Um, and then they put the whole way as a park. It's a linear park called the Southwest Corridor. And they used all the old granite from the, the train embankment to make that park. So. Okay turned out pretty well. So nowadays, is the the neighborhood still in transformation or is it kind of settled? I think it's mostly settled. Um, people will tell you we just had a ba- major building project where they had built an overpass in the 1950s and they, it had deteriorated so they took it down and they're sort of redefining the corridor where it was and so that's been a big, t- to keep the overpass or take it down was a big controversy here in Jamaica Plain and then we used to have st- uh, streetcars that came along Center Street, so that's been a big controversy. Should we replace the streetcars or not? They stopped in the 1980s. So 
those sorts of things, we're still a neighborhood that fights and argues about uh, some, that sort of stuff. Some cities, you know, especially in the outlying areas, you know, they'll complain that, hey, man, you know, we're paying like high taxes mm -hmm. and but and it's going into the the, the center of the city but it's right. not coming back do you have that same fight here a little bit or uh no i think uh people in jamaica plain are pretty happy with how things are it's just this like do we bring in a, a more trolleys or not like because a lot of cities are now doing a lot of light rail and so there's definitely a group of people we should get rid of all the cars nobody should have a car um, there's definitely a big bicycle culture here in Jamaica Plain. Lots of people bike, so um, we've gotten a lot of new bike lanes. And we're still doing that. Actually, the head of this chief of streets lives here in Jamaica Plain, and he's a biker, so um, that probably helps us. But there's not too much in the way of controversy. It's just the gentrification and the, the fact that prices have gone up and up and up. Right. Um, and then they are, the mayor currently is trying to build more affordable housing. And because we had the land cleared for the highway, we do actually have spaces in Jamaica Plain where there is room for bigger uh, apartment complexes. So some of those are being built. Some of them are condos and will be out of the range of most people, but some of them are affordable housing. So then the question is, do we have enough coverage in the current subway system, in the bus system that we have now? If we had trolleys, could we move faster, you know, more people faster? Are there, there are too many cars already. What are we going to do about that? So it's yeah. just the same. I think arguments that people have yeah. probably all over the country. Flying cars, that's what I suggest. <laughs> that would be fantastic. <laughs> oh, we have on the weekends, if you're lucky you're not here on a weekend, um, they reroute traffic out of Logan Airport and we get planes coming over in the neighborhood, so people are usually up in arms about that as well. But, you know, yeah. planes have to come in somewhere, right, right. so <laughs> it's only on the weekends because they made a deal with people who live in East Boston, which is where the airport is that you know they try and route the planes in different ways on right. different days so so we are saturday and sunday we get a lot of plane noise So you were telling me off recording that you moved to Jamaica Plains in the 90s? Yeah, 1999. So So what was your first impression when you got here? And you said your parents were from here. My dad's family is from Massachusetts. He grew up in the suburbs in Mansfield, Massachusetts. And so um, I had moved to Boston to go to school. I went to Boston University and then I lived in Cambridge for a little while, which is across the river. But I worked in Boston and I wanted to live closer to work. And uh, I sort of looked around at different neighborhoods, and this one just kind of, I liked it because it's a little funky. It's got a very diverse group of people that live here. There's a pretty large gay and lesbian population. Um, it's a very large Hispanic population as well. It does have, unlike some of the Boston neighborhoods, an array of different types of housing. So there are a lot of different kinds of people that live here. It's kind of a little bohemian. So it just fit me yeah, pretty well. Right. It's yeah. hipster, yeah. yeah. We've definitely got our hipsters, yes. We have a fancy hat store across the street. Oh, wow. Yeah. In case you need a hipster headgear. Uh, yeah, so we've definitely got that. Um, what's interesting, since I moved here, we've also gotten a lot more families. So this area that we're sitting in, they do an event in the summer called Thursdays on the Lawn. And there are hundreds of small children running around all over the place because uh, for a long time, people left the city because they wanted their kids to have better schools. 
And I think people still come to that, like, when their kids hit six or seven, do we stay in right. the city and, and go to school here, or do we move out to the suburbs? Lots of people move uh, three or four streets over so they're in the Brookline <laughs> public schools as opposed to Boston. But it's it's been a big change to sort of see that. But I like the fact that this neighborhood is still very diverse, lots of different kinds of people. Um, there are definitely still a lot of radicals who are marching in whatever protest march is going on at the time. I saw that there's a meeting at one of the churches tonight about reparations for African Americans who came from slavery. So there's still those radical elements, um, but it's just a nice neighborhood to live in. There's people who really care about it. The Jamaica Plain Historical Society is very active compared to some of the, almost all the neighborhoods have a historical society, but I like to think that we're a little more active than most of them, and we, there are just lots of groups here. You could belong to knitters or poets or all sorts of things going on all the time. Spectacularly, wrap up bones and just turn out the lights. It will be fine on some overture. lived in apartments. Uh, I've sort of moved in a couple different apartments over the years, but most recently I moved into a brand new building, which was controversial with some of my friends. Like, oh, I can't believe you're paying those you're, rents. You're but um, I lived in an, a really old house, actually, which means it it's that way. Um, and you come home and just be like, is the heater going to work tonight? Is there hot water? Right. And, you know, the porch fell off one time. So like, really? It Dang. was super cheap, but it was, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and it's actually been remade in the condos now, but, uh, so I was just like, you know what, I want to live a place where when I come home, I know everything's going to work, yeah. and it's brand new, so... It's not much to ask. <laughs> yeah. The people that own that house, they were a little bit fly-by-night, and they were always getting in their friend that knew how to do something, and they never pulled a permit for anything, and they're going to convert from oil to some other kind of heat. And they got this guys to come in, and they took apart the oil tank, and they drained it all. They left in these big tubs everywhere, but then they couldn't figure out how to get the tank out, so... They went off to get more equipment, didn't come back. The whole house filled up with like fumes from the oil. So the first person who got home that night called 911 because we thought there was some sort of leak or something. And the firefighters came and found the oil tank sort of pulled apart, all those tubs of oil. We all had to leave the building. They like opened all the windows. A couple of people had cats, they had to take the cats out. And we all stayed overnight in a hotel and they got in big trouble. Wow. So, like, what's some of your highlights of living here? Like, I'm also really involved in the library. I'm on the board of the Friends of the Library, and um, we've, we've spent a few years arguing to get it renovated, so we just recently had a big renovation. Um, one of the things I like about Jamaica Plain is there's sort of a calendar of events. So every spring, we have Lilac Sunday, which is over at the Arnold Arboretum. So the Arnold Arboretum, which is technically uh, city land but run by Harvard. They have this amazing hill that's all these different lilacs. So lilac Sunday is Mother's Day everywhere else in the country. Um, so you have all these people come and they picnic and it's beautiful and then the group that stopped the highway uh, kept going and they they're called themselves spontaneous celebrations and there's a, a big uh, Wake Up the Earth Festival in the spring where they have dancing and singing and bands and then they do a thing called the lantern, par lantern Parade near Halloween where everybody makes these little lanterns oh. out of Coke bottles actually yeah. now, but they used to be glass. Um, 
and they ring the pond and so everybody in Jamaica Plain comes out and you carry a lantern and you walk around the pond and you see all the people you know and it's this amazing vision of this fire ring around the pond and then there's uh, street fairs there's the farmers market so all during the year people are out you know sort of there's this calendar of things that happen every year I guess that's true of everywhere but it's nice to know that like the right. neighborhood gets together for Lantern Festival or this parade or that parade. Ugh, there's some honk festival which is very noisy. <laughs> honk festival. Honk festival. That's uh, uh, bands like um, brass bands. Oh, I thought it was like people honk their horns no. on the car. Like, oh, uh, we what a terrible idea. Have, yeah, <laughs> we have uh, the oldest community theater in America here, 1872, I think, the Footlight Club. So, you know, people go out to see a play. And it's a nice place to live. I really like it. Hey, thank you for. Coming back by the woodpile. Hey, no problem. Drowned out in the cloud. Now it's coming in loud. That was yesterday. You got no here. By the way, all the music you hear today is by artists that have some kind of ties to Jamaica Plain, including Bob Bradshaw, Eduardo Betancourt, Hallelujah the Hills, Ray Lorano, and La Liga, the amazing Andy, California, and The Long Walls. And if you'd like to go on some other auditory tours, you might check out In the Corner Back by the Woodpile, Episodes 92, where we poke around Nashville, Tennessee, or Episodes 113 and 114, where we drive around the hills and hollers of Hopkins County, Kentucky. In the Corner Back by the Woodpile, it's produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can find us on Instagram, and Twitter by looking up Spun Counter Guy. If you want to say hi or send us nasty words, you can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. And you can find this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and podbean.com. We'll see you on the flip side. You got no say.